This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Mats Vilander, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. It is the night before the first of the two Grand Slam finals between Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova. Then we have Andy Murray against... Who is he against, Catherine? Because we've just found out. Novak Djokovic. That's right. Novak Djokovic fighting through in five sets against Stan Wawrinka. Five weird sets. And we have a very special guest to discuss that and also to throw ahead to the uh, Maria Sharapova against Serena Williams final tomorrow. And it is one of our heroes of the media world. It is Chris Clary from the New York Times. How are you doing, Chris? David, it's good to be a hero. It doesn't happen often to me, I can tell you that. Well, you are one of ours, and you came up with a word, Chris, in your piece today in the New York Times looking ahead to Maria Sharapova against Serena Williams that I've never heard before, an unrivalry. <laughs> it's an unrivalry. It's exactly right. It's the match matchup. It should be a great rivalry. I mean, this is star power galore, number one and number two. Everybody around the world knows Serena and Sharapova, but it just ain't a good matchup for, for Maria. It's been a very, very bad rivalry. So I, I kind of came up with that because I thought it was – kind of a new way of describing an old problem. However, do we think that there might be a change to that? Uh, are there anything, is there anything in that rivalry and the ingredients to it over the last couple of weeks that might change things? Catherine is standing there looking as though she's desperate to say something. Because I think this is probably the point at which you should confess your prediction to Chris. Yes, I think Maria Sharapova is going to win. How about that? Well, it seems to be that kind of a tournament, right? Thomas Burditch breaking his streak against uh, against badness there. So it's possible. It definitely is. And I think Maria's playing well. And she came through that horrible match early in the tournament when she saved the match points. So she's got a new life. Serena's not at her best physically. Um, seems to be having trouble with her cold and congestion. Seen to talk about the pressure an awful lot um, this week. She's had some tough shaves with the younger generation. But I don't know. I mean... I got too many memories in my head of her pounding Maria into submission from the baseline. So it's a little hard to make that choice. But it could be a good match. Let's put it that way. Chris, you almost got me believing there. And Catherine was getting a bit worried. And now she thinks, because she said that Serena Williams is going to beat Maria Sharapova. This was on day one of the tournament. We started this debate and this argument. And Catherine's now looking a bit smug because Chris Clare is backing her. 
Well, there's no stronger backing, is there, in the <laughs> tennis journalism world? I, I mean, and there's no stronger backing than than the record books. I'm afraid. I'm just being sensible, David. I've been burned with Serena Williams-related predictions in the past, so I'm playing it safe this time. But I applaud your bravery. Thank you very much. Well, my bravery will probably look a bit stupid in about 24 hours' time. But no, I genuinely think that she's looking sharper and more focused. I mean, she's always focused, isn't she, Maria Sharapova? A wonderful competitor. I suppose whether the question is, A, does she genuinely believe she can beat her? And also, does she have the game? Well, I think in terms of what's driving Maria at this stage of her career, I think Serena's a big part of that. I really do. I mean, I think Maria's... Definitely not a charmed life. You think about the way she started her life and how she had to go through all that uh, privation and difficulty coming from Russia very young. But the way it is now, life's pretty good for Maria Sharapova. And the one thing that's not good is this matchup with Serena. And so I think, you know, when she goes out there, I watched her practice in Florida for quite a while. I went down to do a big piece about a year ago. I think she and Serena had had some problems in the previous season, uh, off the court as well, some issues. And we talked about Serena a lot. And, and she basically told me that, you know, that's one of the things that really motivates her is the idea of Serena. And I watched their last match very closely. It was in Miami. I think it was in the semis, if I'm not mistaken, uh, back in April, early April. And she played very well at times in that match. And she's, I think she was really trying to be aggressive on her shots at the right times. But Serena has that ace in the hole with that serve. Huh? And when she's on, you know, and, and she's been on a lot under pressure in this tournament with her serve, it's just Maria has no answer to that. And the other factor is that when they're on the move, when they're rallying, Serena is the better athlete and better able to cover the court in the corners. And, and she reboots the point and restarts the point against Maria in ways other players do not. So it's just it's a bad matchup for Maria. I do think she'll win again against her at some point. Number 19, and right there on the sights from Serena, a lot to play for. Uh, it's hard to pick against her. It is. Now, you mentioned that you spent some time with Maria Sharapova for that big piece in the New York Times. What is she really like? I went down there with a very open mind, which I always try to do when you get that kind of access, and I was very fortunate to get it. It was a really you know, quality amount of time. We had a three-hour lunch, just the two of us, no minders, no hassles, no problems, and she said just, you know, hands on the table, what do you want to ask me? Ask me. So we did. You know, we went through the, all the issues of the day, and there were a lot at that point because she was coming back from her shoulder problems and everything else, and um, I was impressed. Frankly, I really was. Good sense of humor. Self-deprecating in a lot of ways, uh, you know, laughed off some tough questions, answered straight other ones. Uh, I came away feeling like she had a lot, a lot of depth to her. Others would disagree with that, but I mean, I'm not sure how often people get that kind of access to her to really sit down and have a long conversation. So yeah, I feel like in some ways because of the shrieking, because of the image that she gives, and she doesn't give a lot of real in-depth interviews like that, people don't really know her. I'm not saying that I do after one half day with her, but I, I felt like there's a as a complex person there with a lot of depth, and I think she will do a lot in her life going forward as well. Do you think we don't know her, the rest of us? I mean, as you said, it's, not, it's only half day, but do you feel as though the image maybe that the general public have of her is, is perhaps inaccurate? I think she's kept the world at a distance uh, for competitive reasons, and maybe also from her own culture, the way she grew up. I spent some time with Azarenka recently as well for a story, and that kind of access was there too, and I could sense something. Maybe it's you know the former East... The way people are raised and that kind of culture is a bit more, uh, I think, um, concerned about opening up, maybe in that regard. But I, I feel like uh, she's kept the world at a distance so she could have that edge that she wants to have in the matches. And I don't, she, she doesn't make friends on the tour. She has her own little group, always has. That obviously rubs some people the wrong way. Um, media doesn't get a lot of access to her in a quality way. So all those things add up to that. I think it's served her well. But I think she is somebody, when you see her up close, it looks a bit different. 
What about Serena? Have you spent much time with her? Do you know her very well? You know, Serena's a bit mystifying to me, I have to be honest with you, on this podcast of yours, which is so in-depth. But the fact that I've known, I've known Serena from the very beginning of her professional career. I've covered her all along, and I can't say I really know her. Um, I've interviewed her in depth a couple times. Um, you hear all, I think she's somebody who has a lot of different sides to her and a lot of different moods, and it depends which one you run into. And I think she's also somebody who, uh, with her family, there was always a us-against-the-world mentality, and I think that's still the case. She does appear to have mellowed somewhat in, in recent years and is, is much more magnanimous following losses these days, it seems to me, than maybe... And she also seems to have calmed down. The, 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 you don't get the temper tantrums that we saw against Kim Kleisters in 2009 and that kind of thing. She does seem to have... We've seen, obviously, the, the love-in with uh, Caroline Wozniacki over the last year, the best mates uh, that they've become. You're right. I mean, there, I think there's all different parts to her. She can be very warm. I know she's been very generous at times. I know she has that side to her. I still think there's a street fighter in her there that comes out a lot. Um, and I do think she just goes up and down a lot. And I think she's had to bear quite a burden, frankly. I mean, it's not easy to be in the sights of everybody for so long. And she's a, a ferocious competitor. I think she needs to maintain that to do her best. And she has mellowed, but then you watch her matches like Madison Keys the other day. I mean, she's shrieking at herself and just exhorting herself even though she's basically in position to win the match. She has her back to the wall even when it's not. So I can't always predict when she's going to feel that way, but there's an awful lot of tension in her still, I think. So she, we believe, in your view at least, Catherine, she's going to win her 19th Grand Slam title. Chris is just about backing you as well. I'm <laughs> saying no. I'm saying no. She, the, the record is going to go after 10 years plus. Just, just quickly, do you, both of you, do you think that she is the greatest female player of all time? Well, she won't. Well, she's not done yet. First, I mean, if she wins tomorrow, she will uh, catapult herself into a clear second on the all-time list, behind Steffi Graf, who I think has twenty-two. So, still Margaret Court, of course. Open era, open era list. Um, so, I don't. Oh, I mean, it, I don't think you can say she is based on that record at the moment. But I, th- I think if she wins tomorrow, she could still well have another three left in her. So um, I don't think you can say just yet. I would say not. Um, I think her best tennis is the best of all time. But her best tennis really hasn't been there as much as some other players in the past. And I would say Martina Navratilova, based on the consistency of what she achieved over the course of her career, not just at the slams, but also tour events week to week and everything else. And Steffi as well, Steffi Graf um, in, in the modern era. I think both have superior records to Serena in terms of their week-to-week abilities. But Serena, on her day, would have beaten them all. Wow. But if you insert... I'm playing devil's advocate to to my own answer here. Uh, If you insert context into that, you say she's not had the consistency, she's faced far more adversity than any other female player, you'd have to say, uh, in the past. Certainly physical adversity, pulmonary embolism, she's suffered huge adversity in her personal life if you insert context into that that puts a different complexion on her sort of lack and lack of consistency I think so I'm I'm still not saying I think she's the all-time all-time best I'm just saying it's it's just an impossible comparison I think but she still has some way to go and she still has some maybe some years left in her so it's She's certainly part of that argument, isn't she? And she's right up there. And it it is fantastic to have seen 
the fact that she has made her career to that sort of level. Because I think you know, if we went back 10 years, 12 years ago, my first Australian Open, she would, she'd just done the Serena Slam at this tournament 12 years ago when I first came here. But even then, I, I don't think we would have expected to have lasted this long and still be winning slams at this sort of age. It's true. I think the fact that she has that, that really inner drive, it's just in her. That's part of it. Um, she had a lot of time when she was off. Um, I think much like Andre Agassi early in his career, she didn't take the tennis maybe to heart as much as she should have, kind of held it a little bit away from herself and um, explored other options and other avenues. And I think she, much like Andre, probably with the game being imposed upon her by her family to some degree, she took time to come to love it. I think she does now. And the other thing that's helped in the longevity is Venus because um, and it works both ways, but the fact that Venus has been there all along, and I think as long as they're both playing, I don't think either one can conceive of stopping. I think it's just they're a pair. Someday Venus will stop before Serena, I would imagine. But for that's been a real factor as well, I think. Extraordinary to consider that, that if you go back 10, 12, 15 years even, people used to say, oh, they don't take it seriously. They've got other interests. Here they are. They've outlasted everybody. Amazing. It is maybe a reason why they have. I think it's true. I mean, I think that's why Andre would tell you the same thing. That's why, that's why it worked for him, and I think he felt like he had – the freshness, but also he had a higher cause in his mind with his what he was trying to do off the court, and he realized that what he was doing on the court was a great way to communicate on that as well, and it allowed him to do many things. I'm not sure Serena's there as much, but I do think Serena has this sense, and Patrick Moore-Tuglou, I think, has helped to realize this, that she has unfinished business, not just in her results, but in her level of play. And frankly, she had the amazing thing about Serena, the absolutely amazing thing about Serena is that there's still room for improvement in her game. I mean, she could be a better volleyer. Her technique is not perfect. She misses a lot of overheads. Um, sometimes her way she handles short balls isn't great. There's still things in this all-time great player that could be improved. And I know Patrick's talked to her about that. And I think, geez, that's, that's part of it. If you feel like you can improve for anybody, that's motivating. Final couple of thoughts. Let's just uh, reflect quickly on uh, the match we've seen tonight. Stan Wawrinka against Novak Djokovic. Yet another five-set match. Third in as many years. But this one was not like the others, Chris. No, it was a strange match and an anticlimactic match. And uh, I think both players could feel it and the crowd could feel it, even though it was still full at the end, as it almost always is in, in Rod Laver Arena. But I, I'll side, you can't expect... You know, magic every time. It's not possible. I mean, five sets already is pretty good. But I think, I think Stan was paying the price for a long year last year, a great breakthrough year for him, and didn't have that mental freshness that he needed. The amazing thing is that Novak still finds a way to do it, even though he should be more tired than anybody after all his years of success. And Catherine, uh, it leaves us with a final of Andy Murray against Novak Djokovic. Now, at the outset of this tournament, you've been saying that Novak Djokovic would win this final, haven't you? Well, not at the outset. No, OK, not at the outset. You got that completely wrong because you said at the outset that Roger Federer would win. Ha, that worked out well. Now, but once we gave you a second chance to make a prediction, you decided that uh, Novak Djokovic would win. Have you changed your mind yet? I haven't, but I feel an awful lot less confident about it than I did several nights ago. I, I put it as sort of about 52-48 in Djokovic's favour, I think, the longer it goes, the more it favours Murray. Um, so I, I, I can't wait for it, for one thing. Um, I think tonight was a, a very 
very bizarre night of tennis. I think everybody in the stadium was looking at that scoreboard thinking, why isn't this gripping? Why why isn't there more atmosphere? Why why does this feel the way it, and that was almost a self-fulfilling thing it was a cyclical thing of it was just a, it was just a strange night um and i thought actually i i mean i could be overanalyzing but i thought novak looked a little bit pale i didn't think he looked quite present quite 100% there i mean I, nobody else seems to have picked up on that so it could be all in my mind but compared to how i mean Andy Murray looked like a 22-year-old when he came into press. The last two rounds, I was struck by how fresh and revitalised he looked, um, both physically and sort of in his general aura and demeanour. So if you told me at at the beginning of the tournament that it was going to be a Djokovic-Murray final, I'd have said, gosh, well, Djokovic has got to be the by far and away the favourite for that. But standing here watching what I've watched over the past two weeks, I think it's incredibly close. I think there's a whisker between them and I don't feel very confident about my prediction. Which is that Djokovic will win the final. Uh, now, uh, there is an extra day that Andy Murray will have had before that final, Chris. Will that make a difference in your view? I crunched the numbers on this a while back. I haven't done it recently, but I don't think it makes a big difference, I think, in terms of who wins or loses, if I look at it. I just think Andy's, I agree with Catherine, I think Andy's very fresh in his mind. You can feel it. He's crackling with intensity and desire. You can just, he just has a whole freshness to him. And I think also Novak did look a little vacant tonight, a little, little uh, almost at times like he'd been knocked around a bit. Um, but I've seen him do that before and still win tournaments. So it's, it's, with him, I, I'll believe it when I see it because he can recover so fast. And no two days are necessarily the same, are they? I mean, this is a final now. He can throw everything he's got into this and then have a break. He looked really good early in the tournament. He really did. I mean, he's looked good before and, and fallen at the end as well. But he, is, he has found a way to recover. But I really feel like if I had to put my hand on the fire now, I would probably go with Andy. This guy, I just feel like Andy has more to play for here. He's got a lot he wants to prove, you can tell, to himself, to other people, to Emily, to the whole group. I think it's just a lot of really good things going on there. And uh, the key for me is a second serve because Novak, we know what he can do. And if Andy hits a lot of first serves in, does a good job with the second serve. I think he'll win a lot of those rallies. Yeah, well, I've been saying at the outset that uh, Novak Djokovic would win the tournament. I might be changing my mind. I'm going to decide tomorrow. I've got another podcast tomorrow, Catherine. After the women's final, I'll give you my verdict then. Chris Clary, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us here on the Tennis Podcast. David, thanks very much for having me. And Catherine... Are you feeling confident about your predictions? It's not been very good for you so far, is it? Not at all. I mean, I'm on the thinnest of thin ice. I'm feeling okay about the women's one. I've got, I've got history books to back me up there. I, I mean, the men's one. I feel like I could have just picked that out of a, picked that out of a lottery. Yeah. Now, more importantly, Catherine, tomorrow you need to find Dora the Explorer for me because we're still looking and I haven't found her yet. I'm not your PA, David. I'm not your personal Dora finder. Yeah, but there are lots at stake here. I, I, she's she's so difficult to miss. I don't, I don't know how you. Have I to can't. Her I can't locate her. You have to put an appeal out on Twitter. That's what I suggest. At David Law Tennis searches for hashtag Dora the Explorer. Find Dora. We'll speak to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.